welcome back to The Shed, boys. I'm glad you could make it out of the gloom and into the room. Us here for episode 111. If you can believe that, we're already that far along on our little voyage of discovery and learning. What is it today? February 1st. And the days finally have become noticeably longer, so that makes me feel good right off the bat. And being in the virtual shed with you guys, let us fly out. Nice. Nice. Whoa. It's so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I should express optimism about, not only is spring coming and daylight, is it daylight saving or is it? Saving, that's correct. It is, okay. That's also coming, but vaccines are coming and pretty soon we won't have to do this stupid Zoom business anymore. I'll be really happy about that. Yeah, yeah. Shall I do listener mail? (laughs) yeah absolutely nice nice we just cleared out a whole ton of listener mail so let's see what we got here (laughs) we have an epic email from jesse in montreal here as a follow-up to the episode in which i described the chicago hot dogs which uh it originated from uh, michael of coquitlam shout out to michael recovering from surgery way to go michael doing well All right. Hey dogs. He writes, Jesse of Montreal writes, I was just catching up on the back catalog and needed to comment on the hot dog discussion in the Christmas episode. Attaché Votouk. This is going to be a long one. Since I don't pronounce French very well, I'm going to say he says attached. Hold on to your hats. When I temporarily moved to Montreal 22 years ago, one of the things that kept me here was the food but not the gourmet French food. It's the working class diners. They are affectionately called the Bienerie. And one of the things, and that's spelled Binneries. One of the things they do really well is hot dogs. When I first arrived, they cost a whopping 75 cents each. Steamed white bread bun, gently steamed wiener, mustard, relish, diced onions, and coleslaw. But not the creamy coleslaw, done more like sauerkraut. Definitely no ketchup. Simple and amazing. They are lovingly called steamies in both French and English. And the best part is you don't have to list all the toppings when you order. You just have to say all dressed. Although it's basically pronounced as one word without the D at the end, all dress. Adding to the fun are all the great slang words you can use to order them. If you walk into a bienerie and order douze Et un grisers, you'll get two hot dogs with French fries. The literal translation would be two burpers and one greaser. <laughs> I, I think love really Quebec. Funny. He finishes that paragraph with, "Go ahead, Skin." I just thought "rotule" must mean rotators, like ro- rotate. Two burpers. But I guess not. Rotule. Now, if you want to get fancy, you can order a toasty. That's the same basic ingredients as a steamy, but the bun and wiener are toasted on the griddle. If that's not fancy enough, you can go full out and get a Michigan, pronounced a Michigan, but almost in one syllable. There you go. It's a steamy, but instead of the usual condiments, it's covered in the meat sauce you'd put on spaghetti. Sort of a chili cheese dog, but simpler. They are fantastic. Oh my God. Can we take a break, guys? I just want to go eat. Honestly, when I heard these descriptions before I even saw the pictures, I just thought, 
Oh, yes. geez, that'd be good. Yes, yes. And if you're listening along to the podcast, which reminds me, we will uh, post the pictures so you can just watch them as they go, or you can come to the website and have a look at these beautiful pieces of art, food items that uh, Jesse is describing. He goes on to say, but it doesn't stop there. Literally, wherever you are, you can upgrade your fries to a poutine. It's basically our version of supersizing. Speaking of poutine, have you tried an Italian poutine? Okay, give it a try here. Poutin Italien. Close enough. That's a poutine with meat sauce instead of gravy. It's a great way to eat 2,000 calories in three minutes. (laughs) For the adventurous, you can go to the hot chicken, which is two slices of white bread with shredded chicken breast in the middle, green peas on top, and then slathered with gravy. And the picture of this is amazing. No other ingredients are allowed. I have attached a photo for reference. But the one that has always been too intense for me is the pizza getty. In its tamer form, it's a half aldras pizza, cheese, pepperoni, green peppers, and mushrooms, and half a plate of spaghetti and meat sauce. But you can also find it as an entire pizza cut in half with the spaghetti in the middle or it piled directly on top. It's basically an orgy of carbohydrates and salt. I have attached a photo for reference. As an aside, in the photo, you can see the corner of the paper placemat. You will find those exact placemats in basically every diner in the province. He closes with, there are some good spots in Montreal, but every single small town has at least one fantastic family-owned beanery, and I will always eat there if I'm passing through. Needless to say, I may have gained some weight since being here. And isn't that funny? Like in Western Canada, there's the Chinese Canadian food restaurant in every small town, which doubles as a diner. Looks like it's a little different in Quebec. Are his photos uh, like current that he's gone out and taken or did he? are they stock photos? Geez, they're all of a certain quality that seems to indicate a stock photo. Uh, Why do you ask, Mom? Well, I just wondered if he was... Uh, since Christmas, he's been out <laughs> hitting the diners, and maybe taking pictures of things. Maybe so. <laughs> I think that's great, great stuff. I thought that those letters were just excellent. I love that he took the trouble in those letters to carefully explain to us how we pronounce those, like we're going to get a chance next week or something. You know, like I, I thought it was really fun. And enclosing pictures of all this stuff was great. Also, you get to see exactly what it looks like. And try to imagine yourself plowing your way through that thing. Good All right, job. a little follow-up from uh, Jessia Montreal, part two. This letter's from Lee from Courtney. She says, first, let me just say that Jessia Montreal is right about everything. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Neither he nor I could listen to Trump's voice, even in the shortest news clips. We have both learned that there is no point in arguing with conspiracy theorists slash flat earth slash QAnon idiots, and yet we have done it. We both left Facebook, although he left most of the other social media channels too, and I only took a hiatus from Facebook, cleaned house of dozens of, quote, friends, unquote, and kept all my photos there. Also, social media platforms absolutely needed to be reset, as he pointed out, in terms of abrogating responsibility for content. And what they've now done is good, although way too late. Same with mainstream media's allowance of Trump's lies and misinformation, 
As PJ pointed out, they finally turned away from him, but again, way too late. So, Jesse Parts 1 and 2 rocked. Also, like the new theme music and the slightly shorter format, and not surprisingly, I agree with Jesse that The Shed Dogs has all the elements that make a great podcast, including listener mail. (laughs) Uh, Smiley face, smiley face, she closes with. I think that's a great summary of uh, our Jesse of Montreal episodes, which were very good. And we've got another piece of mail on that topic. She brings up the topic of new theme music. Now, I don't think we pointed out, but we, PJ actually used Jesse and PJ was responsible for that. He takes soul and loan uh, legal responsibility. He used the voodoo jazz uh, to open the episode with because we were tucked. I just want to interrupt here to just say that I carefully only use 30 seconds, 29.5. I believe, most of the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think litigation starts at 30.00. Like an excellent urban seconds. myth. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, so Jesse's lawyers uh, have been in touch with us. And we have been ordered to keep all documents that have been used in communications between the three shed dogs. Uh, and we'll see about that. But anyway, I sent uh, Jesse an email today about uh, possibly getting uh, rights to use the, that music for future episodes. Because it is just great. It is. Uh, Nancy from New Westminster follows up with, uh, on the same episode, she says, I agree with Jesse. Uh, you guys have a great format. All three of you are so different and actually complement each other well. And, you know, I try to give my compliments to PJ all the time. I like the new music too, she says. I enjoy reading Lee's comments and would love to voice, hear her voice, her opinions and thoughts for real. So, yes, PJ needs to get on the job and issue an uh, invitation to Lee. Post haste, I think, is what you're looking for. Uh, So that's all I have for listener mail. Super good listener mail from both those guys again. Uh. Uh, just keep it coming. All of our mail, in fact, Nancy's, Lee's, all of them. KJ, you had some thoughts on mm. possible new uh, vocabulary items for uh, Canadian hockey followers regarding <laughs> angst over the blue line. Even I, who am not a big hockey watcher, I do sit down to watch with Sue from time to time, and I think I have experienced these. So why don't you walk us through them? When I watch hockey and it, I tense in all sorts of places in my body when I want something to, or I hope something happens. And I think that every Canadian does the same thing. Oh, yeah. I said, gents, in the tradition of 22 different words for snow, let's invent a word or many that describe Canadian hockey followers' angst about the blue line. Number one, if you're defending a power play, you're a man short and they're in your zone. When your team clears the blue line, and your toes uncurl. <laughs> Can we name that, right? Like, because you go, it's, a, it, you know, toes uncurl is just a sigh of relief, of course, but I thought that these should have little funny names. You're, you're quite right. We could have particular words for specific reactions to specific situations. I, I like this idea. I just don't have any brilliant ideas. Well, maybe words. our listener listeners can help us. Number two, when you're on the power play and your team just barely keeps it in the zone, can we name that feeling? You're obviously not scoring, but you want to keep it in there. Yeah, you want to keep it in there, and especially if there's you know if it's a close game or whatever. Number three, five on five, I cringe at every crossing of a blue line. Literally, my gut or my toes tense up or relax. Going back and forth, right? <laughs> And that's not even a power play. And then what did I write? And let's remember that this whole topic is societal. 
we hockey knights understand BLA, blue line angst, and it informs our lives. <laughs> yeah, so the overall topic, blue line angst, and yeah. we're looking for our, we're looking from our listeners for words that are specific to those three situations. I like the idea, and it is, I can remember when I was a kid, before I'd even got into bantam hockey, we'd have hockey night in Canada down in the basement. My mom would bring supper down into the basement. It was really a big deal. Like uh, only on Saturday night would we get things like a wiener cut down the middle with cheese in it, wrapped in bacon, baked on Ooh. a thing. That was the main part. Just I just loved that. It was such a treat. And dad would be watching the game. And just as you say, for him, it was his hands and stomach. They'd be coming in, coming in, get all tense, all tense, all tense, and jerk in his chair like that. And he's just watching the game. <laughs> and I just used to look over at him and think, wow, really invested. And I, that would be Montreal, Toronto days. And so he probably was a secret diehard Toronto fan. That's probably the problem. Because Montreal was always better than Toronto. Sorry, Toronto fans. Not sorry. What do you mean? Didn't Toronto do well in the early 60s? Oh, once. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not true. I, I t they did do well in the early 60s, but I wasn't aware of any of that until they were having their last gasp in about 67. Right. It was the end of a bunch of their careers, and they did win it, but that was the end of them forever since. The dynasty. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll keep that. Uh, I'll see if I can think of anything, but it, it, it's almost like there should be uh, hockey-related words, like, and I'm not even sure how to even start looking for them. Saucer pass. Yeah. Now, KJ, we have uh, uh, an entry from you on our individual takes on the occult. Do you want to run with yeah. that one? Sure. Okay, you got uh, tarot cards, Ouija boards, seances, psychics, numerologists, premonitions, gut feelings, deja vu, etc. Do you have you guys had your tarot cards read? I have not. Okay. I, have not. I, I think I have. I don't. I always found it. I only had it done once or twice, and who knows if it was a, just a friend or something. I'm not even sure. But you know, but the thing is about tarot cards, they're rather descriptive. You know, there's death and truth and light and sword and all this thing. But if they're upside down, if they come up upside down, all of a sudden that changes that. And so I was never, you know, I wasn't a big fan of that. But I guess the, the sort of conversation piece here must be, and tell me if I'm getting this right or wrong, but it must be, I think, to what level do we subscribe to all of these things as valid mm. or not? Well, I think it's probably the same as social media. You get, um, your, you get people who are always saying things that you agree with right on your feed because those are the, you've blocked yep. other people. So if you hear something that you think is positive from a tarot reading or a numerologist or a psychic or something. You go, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that fits right. I I like this person. I I might do this again. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> you recognize and, that, yeah. And you, and you might, you sort of might actually base some future decisions on what you learn too, right? Yeah. But I guess, I think you're asking what we each think. And so, is that what you think that like are you are you a subscriber to the possibility of forces beyond our recognition or control that we have a chance to recognize and control uh i'm not sure about that we have any control over it but uh i i certainly recognize that other world 
Uh, yeah, numerology sort of fascinates me because I had some really interesting things said about me with numerology, and and you you know, but that 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 goes to the same argument that if you hear things that you like, then you're you're sort of more prone to it. But I certainly believe in a transcendent world, or that we we ascend when we die. Or n- not necessarily ascend. We um, we go to a different place, and we probably have to come back here and start over again. But sooner or later, we will actually unbind the the change that that bind us to this world, and we will end up in that world, and that's a, a different existence. I, I like truly believe in all that, and I think you know numerology and well Ouija boards, for instance. Like I read this uh, series call on the Michael Group. And it's about these, uh, it all starts out with these, uh, I think it's eight couples get together to play with a Ouija board. And it's in California in the early 70s, I believe. And they start playing with this Ouija board and they start getting some answers, they figure, right? And the, they keep playing through the night and t- two of the couples leave, but two are left. And they start getting like definite answers, like word or letter by letter but somebody is actually answering their questions and they keep, you know, they're excited about this and they keep going on. And then finally they say, do you have a name? And the entity says, we are called Michael, I think, how it goes. Anyway, they keep doing this. They start getting metal Ouija boards with metal cursors so that because they're wearing them out, because they're... Because <laughs> they're zipping around so much, yeah, and they're doing so, that. That like this guy, this entity keeps answering them, and, yeah. and there's this series of books, and it says uh, basically he says the entity is made up of one thousand and fifty souls, and I don't know. It says why they picked this particular Ouija board or whatever, but it it goes through um, the stages of as far as the, what they know the stages of our lives that we have to go through all these things before we get to be one of those souls that would end up as a part of that kind of a group, right? So we got to go through so many reincarnations, like so many, and every time, and you know, all the, all the those uh, little memes or whatever they are that says, uh, they're, they're sort of like Confucius and Buddha and that kind of stuff. They say that everything is a, everything, every... Tr- Everything is a lesson. Everything, every mm. downfall in your life is a lesson. It's not. It's not somebody trying to hurt you or whatever. It's a lesson for you to learn, and you keep repeating that until you learn it. And then once you've learned it, then you move on and you move up. Anyway, the, 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 I, I'm I'm kind of fascinated with that stuff. Hmm. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, no, I'm I'm like I'm not dismissive. Like so, my superficial presentation is one of being dismissive. But I'm going to tell you, I won't fool with the Ouija board. Ah. Like, I don't really necessarily buy any of it, but I won't fool with it. Just either. in case there is a little bit of Just power in, in there? I kind of don't need to open my, like, I think we've had this conversation on the podcast before where I kind of think I have my hands full just trying to cope with this plane. Uh I absolutely don't need to be concerned with there's a life after this and what I got to do to qualify it. I'm having a lot of, I've got everything I can do to just get through this one. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to open myself up to the possibility of a whole set of rules and hoops, (laughs) you know, 
that I wasn't aware of that I now have to start worrying about in terms of this current level. Do you guys remember, do you guys remember getting warnings when you're children that these Ouija boards are to be avoided? Yes. Yeah, because uh, KJ in particular, not. I know the Catholic Church came out pretty strong about Ouija boards and st- you stay away from those. Yeah. And not in the sense that, oh, those are false. Don't believe in them. Believe they're, they're going like, no, we don't like the idea of you getting uh, information from, uh, you know. Yeah. Like the, the devil's, devil's vector. Yeah. Yeah, they're the devil's vector. Yeah, here's a quote from the... Uh, Roman Catholic Christian Apologetics Organization says the Ouija board is far from harmless. It is, a, is it, a, it is a form of divination, seeking information from supernatural sources. In other words, just stick with us. You know, we got the God on our side. You don't want to get those evil spirits talking to you. That's right. The fundamental question seems to be, do you believe there is a supernatural? And my, my first response is no, not really, but I'm not really willing to risk finding out for sure. I'd rather just believe there is not and move on. RJ? Yeah, and, and you, you already know where, where I think you already know where I would stand on this is uh, don't believe at all in, in the kind of supernatural that's, that's kind of described in these types of things which is something that, you know, we've been gone through, uh, you know, the soul and all that kind of stuff is, uh, completely have zero belief in that. I also think that it does a huge amount of damage belief in the soul. So it's not just kind of, it's just kind of fun to do a Ouija board. It can be harmless. And yet people are against abortion because they believe there's a soul. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I definitely think that the uh, spin on presence or absence of a soul that organized religion in general has come up with is harmful. But anyway, so this, this general stuff is is things that I don't believe in, and in particular the Ouija boards. Scientific studies have been done over and over on them, and they basically recreate. They, the, the science says that the subjects are moving the planchette involuntarily, and so they actually get deep into the detail of, the separation in the mind between the conscious and the subconscious mm. and that, you know, if, if you want or think that the answer is yes, you're, you're purposely not trying to make mm. your mind be do the movement. And yet your mind is capable of doing that movement on your behalf, your subconscious yeah. mind. So lot, lots and lots of studies of this stuff. And a, a similar one is the, uh, the pendulum that you hold. And then people hold up their hands and the pendulum seems to lean towards their hands. Same oh, kind of autonomous movement stuff. Well, what about the, the details in Castaneda and uh, hallucinogenics and where Castaneda goes on his little journeys? Where do, you, where do you qualify that kind of stuff? Totally enjoyed that, especially the first book. What was the name of that famous, the first book? Carlos Castaneda. Yeah, The Teachings of Don Juan. Is that the name, first name of the book? Yeah, A Yaki Way of Knowledge. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, Carlos Castaneda was full of shit, and his daughter did as well, if, if I recall right. And I loved the book. I just loved reading it, and I think I made it all the way through it and got bogged down afterwards. I think he was just inventing all kinds of stuff in there. And oh. It's, yeah, yeah, it's just very easy to. I mean, a lot of people are great writers, right? No, but it wasn't a very well-written book. <laughs> like oh, you didn't all, like the way it was written? It was all over the place. Like, it oh, was, okay. It was rather hard to follow as far as, you know, a straight narrative or whatever. But, oh, I, I'm, I'm actually fascinated because uh, I just took that as that's what he did. It was his PhD. He's going to go down and visit this sorcerer, and he's going to 
find out and he goes on these little adventures and you know maybe they were in his mind but he seemed to go on the little adventures and yeah yeah and and that's interesting that's interesting and and i definitely do believe that there are all kinds of good therapeutic uses of psychedelics and whatnot as well and that people can actually learn things by going on trips i i have no difficulty in believing that Uh, that's because you can direct your dreams you bastard (laughs) only in a minor way (laughs) yeah but that's that's one more way that i can do it that's for sure but i'm the least fun guy at the party on this topic it's like it's it's pretty fun to discuss and there's a lot of interesting stuff and people can have insights about life through a lot of these things right like you could use a ouija board and 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 figure something out that you never would have done if you hadn't used it but it's just that i don't really think that there are like magical influences that are doing it i think it could all be just explained through the if you knew enough about it through the brain and through physics and through that kind of those kind of studies well you're going to hell that's for sure I'm the least um, fun guy at the party. I'll be the least fun guy in hell. Because the guys... The, no, you'll be the most surprised guy. A lot guy of people in hell. in hell are a lot better at having fun than I am, I'm sure. <laughs> I just remember using Ouija boards when I was a kid in early elementary school and, you know, at a birthday party, something oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. And I wanted it to be true, but it was really clear to even my seven-year-old self that this was not anything but other kids pulling on the thing you know oh yeah at that age for sure but i'll bet you when adults do it and all have goodwill like they're not gonna be those people that purposely steer it it can still steer towards the correct answer or the the answers because the mind works in super mysterious ways right like there are things that we simply don't understand but KJ, I think you're you're really on to something about that confirmation bias or, you know, hearing the, the stuff that you want to hear as well. Yeah. There is a lot of that going on where um, when you have a premonition and that thing comes true, it's just so surprising. Like, how could you just be thinking about it and then an hour later it happens? How could you be worried about a relative and then the relative passes away or has something major happen to them just an hour later. The only thing is that we have all kinds of worries all the time in our lives and 999 times you have that worry and nothing happens, but you don't remember, like that's not going to be remarkable. That's not something that you remember, but you certainly will remember when there's a correlation or when, when, you know, one thing happens that you did think of. And so the next thing you know, you're thinking, wow, this, this is, there's really something to this. Okay. (laughs) The least fun guy at the party. Geez, you know, speaking of what's going to happen and the the end of racism. So I was listening to um, National Public Radio, This American Life. They did a segment recorded on January 21st, and they had three parts. The first part was what we missed in our year of COVID, (laughs) you know. And the next part was an interview with a German historian about well okay so trump's gone now are we good you know that kind of was the question and this guy says well i'm reminded of the stab in the back and ira goes well what's the stab in the back why don't you tell us that and he said well the stab in the back in 1918 germany was losing the first world war there was a pandemic raging much as there is now the german military and government knew that the war was lost and 60% or something of the German population, some mass percentage, 
wanted the war ended because it was lost. They were having mutinies in the Navy. Sailors would not go to sea because they were sure the war was lost and they didn't want to die for nothing, right? So they surrendered. And the guy said, within a year, right-wing nationalist groups had begun saying, circulating rumors that the government and the high command stabbed Germany in the back. We could have won the war had we simply persisted. They gave up too early. It was nowhere near as dire as they, they took money from certain special interest groups within Germany that wanted the war ended and completely unfounded on anything. And the guy said, and you would think, you would have thought that as time went on and none of these accusations were substantiated in any way, you know, and the, the guy who signed the treaty on Germany's behalf was murdered within the year and everything. He said it just got worse. As time went by, those rumors became increasingly accepted as fact by an increasingly large percentage of Germans. And of course, Germany was suffering economic catastrophe after the First World War. You know, Hitler tried his putsch in 1923, largely because of that anti-government sentiment that was growing. And he eventually ascended to power in 1933 because of it. So the guy said, when I see what's going on in America now, that's what I think about. And so when we talked earlier about racism, that's why I kind of referred to the economic conditions that make racism a useful tool for some politician. So you, you, you think that the, the, this movement will continue and fester as a yeah, I do. That's, that's what this German historian was saying. Is the crazy thing about the stab in the back was it grew in strength in the absence of proof that it didn't happen, which is exactly what QAnon and the Stop the Steal guys and everything, the absence of proof. And Rich, you pointed this out in one of our earlier podcasts. It's the absence of proof that starts buttressing the theory, right? Of course they suppressed it. Of course I can't find the truth. They've hidden it. Mm. Mm. Excellent. What else have we got here? RJ, I'm kind of dying to know. You've got an entry on here that says, well, you've got a couple. One is solitaire. What a, what's going on? You're just playing solitaire? That's an entry? We've come to that? Well, here? yeah, exactly. Like that. that's just your reaction to it is, is my, my, my starting point, which is um, solitaire. You know, it's, it's occurred to me recently, and it might be something that I can kind of bestow upon both you guys and our listeners is that, Solitaire is a kind of a solitary experience. And oh, wait, you're kidding. Is that why they called it that? <laughs> exactly. And nobody talks about solitaire. Is that fair? And the Emmy goes to PJ Lilburn. Is that fair? Nobody talks about solitaire. Sorry. Right? I just had a chat about this with my daughter last week because she told me she's been playing a lot of solitaire oh, lately. Okay. Do you remember the worst part about using cards back in the day? Cause you, there were no computers. The worst part would be the relentless person beside you going, red 10 on the blackjack, red 10 on the blackjack. <laughs> Terry from First City at a solitary table. Hey, just, just, uh, just move that, just. And then pretty soon they're reaching in to grab the card and fist fight ensues. I thought you were going to say the cards get all greasy and uh, after a while you know where the Ace of Diamonds is because it's got a tear just in the top right. And, and I guess you can play for hours and hours, but there's a natural limiter with the cards. You know, it's a bit of an effort to shuffle the deck and lay the cards out. It sometimes takes longer than losing the game. Oh, I, I spend a lot of time on solitaire. So KJ, what's your game? I'm playing um, 40 Thieves on WAPO. 
And still, you know, I'm getting daily winner and I'm thinking in the world, I tell people I am right now, I am, I have the highest score in the world of people who read WAPO and play the solitaire. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so it's not surprising to me to hear that you are among the world's best. <laughs> no, so no, I'm not. I never, I never get a high score of the, like I've never beat the high score or even come oh. close. I got some questions for you. First of all, can you, in this WAPO version, can you look at the layout and say, I don't like this, I'm going to skip this one, and have it not count against your stats? Uh, yes. And do you do that? I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I start and I go, oh, there goes uh, both my three of hearts. I can't get them back. Oh, oh, the I see the two aces of spades are buried under three kings each. I'm not going to get there, so I'll just click uh, quit. New game, right? And then that doesn't. Do you keep? Does it keep stats on your yeah, win well, loss? It, it gives me some sort of points, and I I get a new star every once in a while. But that doesn't give me money or anything or prestige, so I don't really care about that. <laughs> okay, how common is it for you to have a move available to you and you choose not to do it? Is this something that's a routine in every game or just a very occasionally when you think, I better not do that because later on that's going to hurt me? Well, I often, if I've got a potential sequence and like say I've got the four and five of spades and over yonder is the seven of spades and I'm thinking before I move that four, I'm going to wait until it becomes apparent so I know what's under the four. I'm going to wait until that six comes or the, yeah, the six comes up before I move the five, I'll do stuff like that. Yeah, and then do you track what's under, what's under the four, just in case you do? Need it's always to move in it? my head. Yep, yep. Yeah, I yeah, keep yeah. going in my head. I, uh, whatever's available, it's available. It's available every time a card comes up. Okay, now these are techniques I, I play Forty Thieves as well. Ever since I saw that you were playing it on Wapo, and uh, these are things that I do as well. Um, although. There's so little space in my old addled cranium that it's hard for me to keep track of too many of those things at one time. So if like there's three cards that I haven't played yet because it might be better to wait, then the Some, likelihood of me, I, I, I say that Sometimes them in you my, miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's what I wanted to find out. I've mentioned a few of these. I've asked you questions. Do you have some even more advanced strategies than that for 40 Thieves? that uh, you can think of well i uh, i always think that if you haven't if you haven't got low cards in a suit and you have a space a four is a very good card to put into that space but very often i'll leave that space open for as long as i can because it's you know in case something comes up then all of a sudden oh you get to use a space to move something here and something there yeah, but yeah. Uh, when i feel it's necessary i will empty that or fill up that space and then of course pj we can cut most of this but so uh moby do you get the version <laughs> where the discard pile the the pile of cards that you you know you pull off the whatever you call the deck there and you can't play them is there only one stack or do you get to see the discards kind of like i played a version for a while there in an old version oh of you can see what's below the top you card. can see all of them all the oh. way up and down that you've already played through yeah i know i've never seen that yeah because my memory is shot really so for me i like that because i could go well the both three of clubs are gone now so i'm not going to play the four of clubs there's just no point in it so i'll just 
let that be discarded, even though there's a five of clubs on the tableau. And do you use the undo um, function? Well, I have rules for when I use it. Uh, well, here's here's what I'll do sometimes. The same, That's funny. The same thing when you have those cards, you know, the four and the five of spades, and you got the seven, you're waiting for the six. If I get a card and I've got, like, say I've got the four of spades and the seven of spades, or four of spades and the six of spades, and I get a three, and I put down the three, and then the next card that comes up is the five of spades, I will undo, undo, click, click, put the five down, move the four, move the three. But sometimes, if you get down into your stack a little ways, uh-huh. you, you undo, you can watch your pile reshuffle. It actually says, we're, you know what's coming because you've seen it. That's why you undid. Oh. We're going to shuffle those guys. And you hear this little... And you see the numbers actually going, and I think it doesn't happen all the time. But I think, oh, those little bastards—they're trying to. <laughs> that's right. Me. They busted you. Yeah. yeah. God, that's I funny. I try and be. I try and follow my rules. I think sometimes I bend them a little bit. But my rule is that if I have a strategy and I do, and I somehow miss or forget the strategy, and then play a card, and they'll I'll even or play three, four cards. And then realize, oh, wait, wait, I missed my strategy. Then, I'll, yeah, I'll go back and undo to do that. But I don't undo in the situation that you talked about, um, which is I, uh, my strategy says that I'm not going to play that, or I am going to play the three on the four. That's my strategy. So if the five comes up on the six, then I just kind of live with that. That's honorable, RJ. Very yeah, thank honorable. You. Thank you very much. But not, he has to live with himself, Mo. Yeah, he has to live I with do. himself. <laughs> but, yeah. But then I don't penalize myself for not noticing stuff. So that's that, you know, yeah. So, you know, from Mumalak to solitaire, we cover it all. And, yeah. uh, l- listeners, I'm curious. That was a fascinating discussion for probably all 60 of them. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking 40. there are a number of people listening to this playing solitaire right now. Listeners, I'm curious, what are your rules for undo? You know, do you allow undo and under what circumstances? <laughs> this is really hard hitting journalism. We need to get to the bottom of this. That's all we got for this week. We hope it was enough. Uh, we hope it wasn't too much. If it was too much, well, you know, have a big glass of water like we advised somewhere recently and uh, take a few deep breaths and uh, make sure that you understand that we won't always be. Sometimes we'll be just right. And so will you when you write us a letter and say, that was just right. Huh? Huh? See what I did there? Come back and see us soon because we miss you when you're not here and we'd like to hear from you whenever we do. So send us stuff. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and we'll talk again soon. See you, everybody. Bye.